listening to Truth To You with Jono and g'day to Wendy and her great friend Jennifer who introduced her to the Torah and wherever you may be around the world it is good to have your company it is time for Pearls from the Torah portion with Keith Johnson and Nehemia Gordon g'day gentlemen good day. g'day Jono great to be here from Jerusalem and uh, I want to send a shout out to Ida B in Florida Richard from Green Valley Arizona Tim from Ada Ohio and Patricia who is married to Scott thank all of you thanks to all of you for sharing the Torah pearls, especially on Facebook. Keep sharing. Amen. And I would like to give a special shout out to all of our new listeners who haven't even been a part of this for these last uh, uh, few months, but have just joined us. This is exciting to have you. We're giving a shout out to everybody that's joined just in the last few weeks. It's, it's a blessing to have you. And speaking of new listeners, I now I, I just want to say good night to everybody in Russia. It's my understanding that a prayer to our father, the book uh, by Nehemia Gordon Keith Johnson, uh, there's now a Russian translation of A Prayer to Our Father being broadcast as an audio book on Russian radio. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. We were contacted um, probably about six month, months ago, Keith and I, uh, asking for permission for them to translate this into, into Russian and to uh, it broadcast it as a, a series of um, essentially as an audio book uh, in the Russian language. And uh, we were we thought that was a great blessing and we, we encouraged them to do that. And, and just, uh, just this morning, I was sent the link Finally, where people, uh, two of the episodes have already been broadcast, and more are in the in the process. But those two episodes that have been broadcast, you can now go and listen to them online at the website. Uh, if you obviously have to know Russian, um, but uh, the, it's, there's a website, Mashiach uh, Sefer Narod Two Ru. Um, I actually posted the link on my Facebook page. You can find it there. But that's exciting that this is now getting out to the Russian people. Mm. Who you know, I, I think for me that's that's um, especially exciting. Because um, you know my, my people, uh, my ancestors, many of them came from the Russian Empire, from Lithuania, which was ruled by Russia, yes. and uh, experienced centuries of persecution and suffering. And uh, and it's exciting to me to hear about now about uh, people who are coming from really the descendants of those persecutors who are now turning to the Hebrew roots of their faith mm. and realizing that what was once persecuted actually can help them by understanding the Jews instead of hating the Jews Amen. can help enrich their own faith. I, I, and I'm excited about that. That's a, that's an yeah. awesome thing. It really, really is. And, and of and course, you know what, Jono, I, I will say one of the things that, and it's so, it is so interesting because you can't even keep up with the things that are happening. I mean, so we got that, that you know, that's happening, you know, and we've talked about it before, the whole Chinese translation mm. uh, that is in a prayer to our father, you know, actually to have the physical book in Chinese and, and we're having discussions now about getting over there to do a tour, and, and now with the folks in Russia hearing it. I mean, really, what we intended to do from the, when we started this until now, it's actually coming to pass. So it is exciting to see different people, different tongues and nations, nation, you know, languages Amen. that are Amen. that are, are getting okay. a hold of this. So it's exciting. It is exciting. And uh, again, now if we could just get it in uh, Australian. <laughs> <laughs> A prayer, a prayer to, to our, our father. father. <laughs> there it is. A prayer, a prayer to, our, to father. our father. Let's throw some shrimp on the barbie. Good night, good night, good night. Let's not talk about it. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie! Oi, oi, oi. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie! Oi, oi, oi. Don't wake me up into a frenzy. I'm trying to read the subheading of the book, Hebrew Origins of the Lord's Prayer. A prayer to our father available from truthtoyou.org now. Oh, look, before we do anything more, I just want to uh, uh, read another comment, if I may. This is from Ray. G'day, Ray. He says, uh, blessings to all three. Love the broadcast, the insight into Torah, the biblical Hebrew, the verbal exchanges, the prayers. I love it all. Finally, a teaching that makes sense. I believe this is what Yehovah had in his plan since the beginning, a people who he chose to teach his Torah. Thank you for that, Ray. Appreciate the comment, my friend, and I uh, hope that uh, continues to be just one of many blessings from our Father. Today, we are in Bamidbar, Numbers 1, verse 1, to chapter 4, verse 20, and it begins like this. Now, Keith, now, we didn't, now, in our last Torah pearls, we said that we were going to read some of this out in Hebrew, right? Mm -hmm. Remember that? I'm going to do one better than that. I'm going to up it, ready? I'm going to, I'm going to read it from the Hebrew and... Translated into English while standing on my head. Are you ready? Here it wow. goes. This okay. is impressive. Wait a minute. Here we go. Right. Now, aren't right. you always on your head because hey. you're in Australia and you're upside down? <laughs> but now I'm standing up. Oh. <laughs> There's some. Okay. Right. Here, here we go. Now Yehovah spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, 
take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families, by their father's houses, according to the number of names. Every male individually from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go in to war uh, for Israel. Now, let me stop there. Hang on, I'll get back to you and jump back in my seat. There we are. Nehemiah. <laughs> I'm just curious. I mean, it, it's it's mandatory to serve in the army in, in Israel at the moment, right? Mm -hmm. From what age? So the Israeli army uh, drafts um, boys and girls from the age of 18. Usually, so men do three years, 18 to 21, and mm -hmm. girls do two years, 18 to 20. Okay, but here, um, is it fair to say that they were, in a sense, drafted from the age of 20? That's Well, clearly they were serving in the army from the age of 20. And um, I don't know that they were actually drafted because they didn't actually have a standing army. It was more of um, actually very similar to what happens in Israel is that you, uh, uh, for most citizens, will do a, a basic service. Mm -hmm. And then after that, they remain in the pool of, um, of army reserves. Well, essentially, the system they had in ancient Israel was the entire, uh, every able-bodied man was in, was in the reserves. And they weren't a, a, a standing army of professional soldiers. Mm -hmm. There were some professional soldiers, but that was... You know, very small number of, of people who were, you know, in the officer, essentially officers, and in the ruling class. Sure. Okay. You and Aaron shall number them by their armies, and with you there shall be a man from every tribe, each one of the head of his father's house. And here uh, begins all the names. Now, eventually we want to get to, I, I would like to get to uh, verse 46 and highlight that, but between here and there. Keith, is there anything in particular that you wanted to highlight? <laughs> of course I would like to. Of course I would like to highlight a few things, and I appreciate you tipping the hat to me as we get started here. Uh, the, the thing that uh, hit me, you know, and I was, I was thinking about this late last night and again this morning, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that the English Bible does what it does. You know, what we do in the English Bible is we, you know, we've talked about this before, you know, we've got the titles or the chapters. And we've got the chapter numbers and we've got the verses. But the other thing we do is we give the actual um, title of the book. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's so interesting as I'm looking here in the Hebrew Bible and I'm looking here at my English Bible. And so the first thing I see is numbers. Mm -hmm. If I look at my Hebrew Bible, I see Bamidbar and then, and then, in, and then it says numeri, or, you know, meaning numbers. Mm -hmm. And so then I'm, I'm asking myself the question, <clears throat> if, I'm, if I'm not looking in my Hebrew Bible and someone says, here's a book for you to read, <clears throat> and they say, Oh, and then I say, so what's the title of the book? Well, the, t the title of the book is Numbers. Now, I'm thinking to myself, why would I want to read a book about numbers? <laughs> if someone comes to me and they say, hey, this is a book, it happens to be about what happened in the desert mm -hmm. after they came from the mountain. And it's called In the Desert, the Midbar, or In the Numbers, or In the, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm sorry, In the Desert. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so, so which one would I want to read? Numbers? or something that happened in the desert. Well, when I hear in the desert, all of a sudden I look at the book differently. Yeah, sure. So I just think it's interesting that the English um, equivalent of numbers, I'm sorry, the English equivalent of this book was titled Numbers, whereas in the Hebrew, it's in the desert. So mm. I, I just, uh, that made me slow down a little bit. And then, of course, when I started reading, the, the first verse, I can't get past it because in the first verse, We've got this really controversial thing going on, and I'm, I'm hoping that Nehemiah will give at least 10 seconds on this, and Jonah, you can give a, about 20, 30 seconds on this, and then I can give you guys the whole commentary as far as what I think. <laughs> sure. But in the first verse, when it says, and, you know, and, uh, and Yehovah spoke unto Moses in the desert with Sinai at the tent of meeting, we've talked about this again. Mm -hmm. Here we've got this, this tent, and of course in uh, the, the NIV Bible and the Methodist Bible, it says in the tent of meeting. But we know that there's that word again, the word, this idea of moed. There's the moed, the appointment. Um, and and then, um, then it does this radical thing, you guys. It says it starts dealing with time. And so, of course, I've got to take a minute to talk about this. Sure. Because it says on the first day of the second month of the second year. So you've got three different things going there. You've got month, day, and year. Mm -hmm. And you know what? It's almost as if. They were counting. It's almost as if Moses knew what time it was, and they knew what the day was, and there's no controversy here about mm -hmm. if it was on the equinox or if it was the dark moon. or I mean, it's just like an obvious deal. As you're listening to this and you're sitting there and you hear this, this verse about what happened in the desert, I'm sure that the ancient Israelites weren't sitting there saying, well, let's have an argument about which day it was. <laughs> was it the middle of the month? Was it the dark moon? It was had the equinox taken place? Was the, I mean, are you kidding me? It's right there. 
They knew the times according to what he had told them in Exodus 12. This shall be the beginning of months for you. And they counted. And, and I mean, I just, I had to just, you know, I was, that's as much waxing on as I'm going to do about it. But it just is a, it's a, it's a point of fact. This is when it happened. Mm-hmm. No argument about how it happened. It's when it happened. Sure. Nice. So. Amen. Praise God. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, since Keith waxed on, I'm going to wax off. And, and uh, <laughs> uh, so here in in verse one, and I've mentioned this in previous Torah portions, but now we've actually come to it. Uh, Ova spoke to Moses in the uh, desert of Sinai in the tent of meeting, and it says, "In the first of the month, uh, in the first day of the second month, in the second year of the going out of the land of Egypt." Mm-hmm. Well, chapter nine of the same book, verse one. Says, and Yehovah spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in this uh, uh, in the second year of them going out of the land of Egypt in the first month, saying, and then the actual whole story there in chapter nine is about the the feast of unleavened bread and the Passover mm-hmm. sacrifice, and so it's clearly um, you know the, the fact that it's in the first month is is crucial to the story, um, and, and basically what this means is chapter nine of the book of Numbers took place before chapter one of Numbers. And again, we're dealing with the issue of that this was a series of different scrolls. Having said that, still, every time I read this, I'm shocked. Chapter nine, chapter 1, verse 1, that we've now read three out of the five books of the Torah. We're 60% of the way through the Torah as far as the number of books mm-hmm. are concerned. And we're only in the second year of the ex- after wow, the Exodus. That's true. That's a really right? good point. So that means between Exodus 12 and really, between, yeah, really from Exodus 12 all the way up until um, uh, Numbers chapter 1. We've had uh, eleven and a half months. That's all that's have that have transpired, which to me is you know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's like like seriously, that's all that's gone by. And what that means is that uh, the book of Numbers is going to then cover essentially the next forty years, because then the book of Deuteronomy opens up mm. just before they enter into the land of Israel um, uh, at the end of the fortieth year. So this is actually a book that's going to cover you know the book of Leviticus covered chronologically. Um, less than a year, essentially, mm-hmm. and the Book of Numbers is going to cover um, thirty-nine years. So that's that's kind of cool. Point. That's an excellent point. And Jono, and I know, and I asked you asked why. You know, I, I think that just connects with what I was saying. Is that if you tell me, hey, listen, I want to hear about the uh, the people of Israel, and someone says, well, here, here's the Book of Genesis, or here, here's the Book of Exodus, and they say, well, you want to learn about what happened to the temple? Oh, here, here's the Book of Leviticus. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to worry about numbers. That's just a bunch of names and numbers. Now, here's Deuteronomy, and yet what Nehemiah just said ties in perfectly, that here you've got a book that the title of it is In the Desert. Mm. So, and, and yet it's a book that oftentimes, at least in my tradition, wouldn't be something that you're not going to hear. You're not going to hear a lot of messages. You're not going to hear a lot of, uh, uh, of teaching. You're, not just, you're just not going to hear it from the mm. Book of Numbers. And yet when I began to read this, with that as the background, that this is going to span all those years in the desert, boy, I slowed down, and I, and, and, I, and I did read it. And, you know, there's some phenomenal information here, and I know we're going to get into it. And, of course, there's going to be some of it where, you know, Jono's not going to be able to, to read every name every time, but there are some things that are going to jump off the page. So, Okay, I, I want to comment on verse 6. Jono, do you have anything to add please, there? Please, verse 6, okay. yeah. So verse 6, so it's Shlumiel, the son of Suri Shaddai. And what's interesting about Shlumiel is, is um, and this really is, it has to do more with, I suppose, Jewish culture than with um, anything in the Torah portion. But mm-hmm. in Jewish culture, Shlumiel became a, a, a sort of a mythical figure um, to the point where, where um, uh, in, in, especially in Yiddish culture, uh, for Jews from Eastern Europe, uh, there's two figures that they'll talk about all the time. Um, and, and Keith maybe from, have heard of this. If you ever watched the American television program, I think from the 70s, Laverne and Shirley, they're, they're uh, at the beginning of the program, they're, they're singing Shlemiel, Shlemazel, Hop and Pepper Incorporated. Well, Shlemiel is their pronunciation of Shlemiel, uh-huh. and uh, Shlemazel is Shlemiel's friend. And, uh, and these are actually essentially mythical figures in Yiddish culture. Shlemiel is um, the guy who... Um, he he never has a a string of any good luck. Things always go bad for him, and he's always he's the guy who always spills the soup. That's Shlumiel. Uh, his friend Shlomazel, that's the guy the soup always spills on. <laughs> <laughs> and that comes that comes from here from Numbers chapter one verse six. Shlumiel, um, Shlomazel isn't mentioned here, but that's his uh, mythical friend. And then I want to quickly jump to verse sixteen. I'm going to ask Keith to read that. Wait a minute. Wait. Now hold on. Wait. You, are you telling me right here we've got a little bit of American? Uh... Uh, culture right here in uh, in, in, in the in book of numbers. Huh? Well, it's it's American culture that that um, yeah that was influenced by Jewish culture that goes back eventually to the Bible, you know. And I think it's funny, probably millions of people 
tens of millions heard that, you know, every week in America, Shlemiel Shemazel Hoffman Pepper Incorporated never, you know, what do those words mean? Well, that comes from the book of numbers. He's so the guy who spills the soup question, and, and the guy did you, soup gets filled. Did, did you yeah. actually, did here you by actually, the, you, uh, by the way, you're Shlemazel, I'm Shlemiel. <laughs> no, my, here's my question. Did you actually, did you actually watch uh, Laverne and Shirley? Um, I think I did actually, like back in the eighties, I watched the reruns. What, wasn't that a spinoff from the happy days or something? Was it really? I think so. Okay. Well, it took, it took place in Wisconsin and I'm from Illinois. So it, you know, they're, they're neighbors. There you go. Interesting. I couldn't tell you what the show was about. It was I can't like, remember, but I do vaguely remember watching it when I was, when I was young. So now before we move on from that, I, I'm yeah. just kind of interested. Zuri Shaddai, is that right? Zuri Shaddai. Yeah. Zuri, now Shaddai, there's also a little further down, Ami Shaddai. Right. Can, can you just give us a quick rundown of the meaning of those names? Well, that's interesting. You know, many Hebrew names are little short sentences. Mm-hmm. And Shaddai, of course, is, um, you know, one of the titles of God is El Shaddai. Mm-hmm. And there's some dispute about what Shaddai actually means. There's lots of different theories. Some people say that Shaddai means my breast or my, my breasts, as in your chest, mm-hmm. um, uh, which is kind of a strange thing to be calling God. Another explanation is that Shaddai comes from the word shed, which in later Hebrew came to mean demon, but in ancient Hebrew in the Torah actually means um, a spirit. And so Shaddai may mean my great spirit. Um, the great comes from the, the I form uh, at the end of Shaddai, supposed to uh, Shadi or Shadi. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tsuri Shaddai would mean my rock is my great spirit, or Shaddai is my rock. Mm-hmm. That would be uh, the and name of the Ami Shaddai? So Ami Shaddai, it's interesting what that may mean. So Ami presumably means, uh, the common meaning of that would be my people. Hmm. Um, okay. So my people, my spirit. And so then you have to, so, and here's one of the problems with uh, with names as short sentences, and this is something you find in Hebrew poetry in general, is that you have these very short sentences and they'll tend to drop prepositions. You know, prepositions are words like to, of, from, <laughs> with, and why do they drop them? Because that's what poetry does. And names tend to do that too. So if I had to just guess off the top of my head, I'd say Amishadai means um, uh, my spirit of my people. I guess that's what it would have to mean. Sure. Um, unless someone could come up with a you know a more clever explanation. It doesn't make sense to say that my people is my spirit, or <laughs> that doesn't really fit. Um, so there are presumably it means spirit of my people. There's obviously a wealth of information in these names as far as definition oh, is yeah. concerned. And, uh, and and it would be worth uh, taking time to, to go through them and uh, singling some out and looking them up. Keith, are, are there any that you would, would like to highlight? I'm still looking for my name somewhere in the Bible. I'm having a problem <laughs> well, with that. that is, that's not there. But can we look in, in verse 10? There's a name there which is, um, is usually translated as Gamaliel. And, and I know a lot of um, our Christian listeners will be familiar with Gamaliel from the New Testament as, as one of the teachers of, uh, of Paul, of mm-hmm. Tarsus, who makes the claim that he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, mm. um, who was the top rabbinical teacher um, in that period, around the year uh, 30 and 40. And um, and here he is. He is. It says, Av Menashe, uh, Gamaliel, the son of Pedatsur. And, uh, and his name is, it's an interesting name. What does Gamaliel mean in Hebrew, Gamaliel? So Gamal is a camel, like the Hebrew letter Gimel, Gimel. which originally was shaped like the hump of a camel. Uh-huh. Gamaliel means um, the camel of God. <laughs> is that right? Yeah, it's a strange name. That is. But that's, that's what it means. There you go. Um, and then, then his father, Pidatsur, means uh, um, the rock uh, redeemed or redeemed of the rock, uh, Pidatsur, the rock referring to, to God. Hmm. There you go. Okay. There it is. Verse 16, uh, it says, These are those called of the congregation, the princes of the tribes of their fathers, and then, it's, and then, what do your what does yours translation have there? Uh, I've got uh, I've got these were chosen from the congregation leaders of their fathers' tribes, heads of the divisions of Israel. Keith, what do you got in sixteen? Divisions of Israel. My mine says uh, these were the uh, these were the Karaites from the community, what? The leaders what? of their ancestral tribes. They were the heads of their clans. Of, <laughs> I'm just reading a little bit of the Hebrew. I'm sorry. Uh, no, these are the men appointed from the community, the leaders of their ancestral tribes. They were the heads of the clans of Israel. Heads of the, they were clans. Um, that was a yeah. C or a K, by the way. Um, anyway, yeah. so you've got clans, you've got divisions. What the Hebrew literally says is Alfe, and Alfe mm-hmm. means the thousands of the heads of the thousands of Israel, and that's interesting mm-hmm. because the word thousand means a clan or a division. It's essentially a large familial group, and so some people have looked at this whole section and said, okay, in verse forty-six, I'm going to jump ahead to forty-six. Mm-hmm. It says there's six hundred elef. Six and three LF, so six hundred thousand uh, and three thousand, or six hundred and three thousand. 
Now, is that 603 clans, mm-hmm. uh, extended families, or is that 603,000 people? And some people have actually suggested that, you know, there were obviously, this is what they say. I'm not saying this. They say, well, there couldn't have been 603,000 people going through the desert. That's just the men between the ages of 20 and 50, which means we're dealing with, or 20 and up, that means we're dealing with um, something like about two and a half or three million people is the assumption um, that there was about, mm-hmm. that, that the, the male fighters were probably about one-fifth of the population. So six million people, um, or excuse me, three million people. And uh, how did three million people go through the desert? So one suggestion that people have made, and I'm not saying I agree with this, um, is that, that there's actually 603 families. And each family maybe had, I don't know, uh, 20 people or 50 people. Mm-hmm. Um, now against that suggestion, what what I think kind of undermines that suggestion is the whole rest of the chapter, which you want to skip over, <laughs> which gives the specific numbers, you know. So it's like the tribe, the you know, the tribe of Reuben is. It uh, let's see, it's a, uh, it has forty six thousand five hundred, mm-hmm. and if you add up all these numbers, they come out to six hundred and three thousand, which kind of I think refutes the idea, uh, even though it's a tempting idea. I think it kind of refutes on a, the plain meaning of the text being that there's six hundred and three families. It really sounds like because LF could mean an extended family, mm-hmm. but here I think it really, in this context, means six hundred and three thousand. It's difficult to argue it uh, outside of that possibility. I mean, to put it into context from forty-four, these are the ones who were numbered, whom Moses and Aaron numbered with the leaders of Israel, twelve men, each one representing his father's house. So all who were numbered of the children of Israel by their father's houses. From 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war in Israel, all who were numbered were 603,550. There we go. There it is. Yeah. So what's, what's the problem with that? I don't understand the problem. I mean, I, I, know, I don't have a problem with it. But, but what, what, the prob- what they say is the problem is, well, you know, how could so many people travel through the desert and what would they have eaten and what would they have drunk and, mm. and it would have taken them so long to move. And, and I'm like, well, it did take them 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, they, and they did complain at every turn, hey, what are we going to eat and what are we going to drink? Mm. So that actually fits the story pretty well. It, it kind of does. Uh-huh. I, don't, I don't see the problem. But so, Keith, do you remember, you know, I mean, studying, uh, I remember in Bible college, this was always one of those really big topics that they would try and walk you through and and uh, argue and, and sort of uh, whittle away. Do you remember that? Did that happen with you? No. The sim- in the seminary I went to, um, we, 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 had, we had our classes, you know, you had your Old Testament, you know, survey, and you had those sorts of things. But, again, it was the idea of survey, kind of like, uh, um, you know, we just kind of take the big picture mm-hmm. and don't get caught up too much in the details. Don't get, get caught up Testament. in the detail. <laughs> now, speaking of the detail, verse 47, but the Levites, okay, the Levites weren't numbered. Now, everything that we've just gone through is um, beside the Levites, right? The Levites weren't mon- uh, mm-hmm. numbered among them uh, by their father's tribe. For Jehovah had spoken to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor take a census among them, uh, among the children of Israel, but you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of testimony, over all its furnishings, and over all, all the things that belong to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and its furnishings, they shall attend to it, and they shall camp around the tabernacle. Uh-huh. How about that? So they actually get to, this is where they are. They they get to camp around it. And, well, I mean, uh, think about it. Think about it, Jono. So you're you're the ones who are, you know, you're, you're the ones that are carrying all this. And I mean, I still don't know how they did that. I mean, I don't know how, however many, it says it's not, they're not counted, but however many had to carry those panels of sections. Well, they're of counted the, later on. And, and, yeah, it does, actually. We, we, get to, we get to find out specifically who is who is carrying those things. And, uh, but, I mean, does, think about it. So they get there, and, I mean, it only makes sense. It's only fair. Okay, we're going to set it up. Now we're going to send you a ways. No, we're going to camp right around it. We're going to do the work. We're going to carry it. We're going to do it. We're going to be. We need to be there available, anyways, to to do it. But I think it's just kind of cool the the picture that it you know that it sends. So it is, and I've got a little diagram in my in my Bible, and it, it sort of shows uh, aroundabouts where that where all the uh, the tribes are camped, and of course the Levites are aroundabout in the middle, and so uh, and it's serious stuff because it goes on to say in fifty one, and when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levites will take it down, and uh, when the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites will set it up. The outsider who comes near shall be put to death. I mean, that is serious, serious stuff. And the children of Israel shall pitch their tents, everyone uh, by his own camp, everyone by his own standard, according to their armies. But the Levites shall come, and they'll camp around the tabernacle of testimony, uh, that there may be no wrath on the congregation of of the children of Israel. And the Levites shall keep charge over the tabernacle of testimony. Thus, the children of Israel did... According to all that Yehovah commanded Moses, so they did. There it is. 
There it is, chapter there one. It is. Okay. Now, can I, I want to say something? That wasn't so bad. Oh. <laughs> no, no, I want to say. Wait, well, that's reading, reading the names in Hebrew. <laughs> so I want I want Nehemiah to do something if he would. Um, you know, everybody. I, I know. You know, the cat's out of the bag, Nehemiah. I mean, you got this awesome program, and and I have to say something about this program. Uh, the accordance program. I've given a little love to the accordance folks. Um, you know, it's amazing um, what what you are able to find in in searches and how and all of this. And, and still, after all these years, I mean, I still scratch the surface. You know, Nehemiah can push buttons and put things together. They're really, really amazing, amazing finds. But this is a bit simpler. Maybe even Jono. I don't know if you've got a a search program there. But but one of the things that I that 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 I do remember. Uh, from a long time ago, and I used to tell, I've told people this before, the big thing that I used to do from the early time that I ever was involved in um, uh, the church, I had a pastor named Dr. Heinerman who, who he, he, you know, he, he would preach the Bible. So he would, you know, he'd get up and preach the Bible. And, I, and as I got older, sometimes he would take me to breakfast and sit down and talk to me. And he, and he said something to me that I've always remembered. And he said to me, he said, are you there? He'd say that to you? Hello? That, is that what he said to you? Are you there? He'd sit oh, down I, with I, you I and you, look at you no, and say, I was so, are you I'm there? so used to being interrupted that you guys didn't interrupt me. Like, <laughs> no, you're telling there. this great story and we're on oh, the edge of our seats and all like, of a sudden it, he says it, to you, are you there? Is someone going to interrupt me? Right. Okay, so anyway, I'm like, hello? Are you guys there? Well, on that note, Jono, I really do want to... No, just go ahead. <laughs> what does he <laughs> so say to you, Keith? What does he say? He tells me... Oh, you're there. He says to me, he says, you know, Keith, whenever you're getting a chance to speak, there's nothing like being able to quote scripture that mm-hmm. that basically if you're if you're not preaching anything uh, it, but you have the ability to bring I, I think Psalm 19 says uh you know um I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin you, sin against you. I, I, the idea that the, the word of God is in you and so as you're speaking speaking the word of God well I, this one particular verse I still remember this uh, when I was doing a, a scripture memory program that there was this verse and this verse what made it be the only verse in numbers that I knew it said, the Israelites did all this just as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, that might sound like a really small thing. Why was that such, a, what was such an important verse for me? Because this idea that what was commanded through Moses and he spoke to the people, they did it. Now, this is obviously earlier in their history than later. But I wanted to see if you guys could find any other type of verses like this. Maybe we can do it as we go through the program where there's a verse around like this and they did all that was commanded. And they did all that was commanded. So Nehemiah, I'm, I'm sure you could push a button there, Jonah. Maybe you could also. I, I don't. I don't. I'm not sitting here. You know. Well, where's Where's your button? I don't understand. <laughs> I just have the Bible. It's all memorized, ladies and gentlemen. It's in my heart. It comes out of my gut. <laughs> Written on the tablet of your heart. Huh? It's on the tablet of my heart. Nice. But but anyway, just yeah. this idea of as they're going through, um, as we go through the Torah, that there are these times where it says, and Moses commanded and looked and saw, and yes, they did just as they. As he was, as the, as mm. they were, and I think that's a pretty powerful verse because it it says there was a time where the people did do exactly what Yehovah commanded through Moses. Amen. Grand. Now I I have a question as well, and and I've just mentioned this actually in uh, verse fifty two, but it comes up again here in chapter two. It says, and Yehovah spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Every one of the children of Israel shall camp by his own standard. Beside the emblems of his father's house, what are we talking about specifically, Nehemiah? Yeah, it's, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, you know, we, I've been to many, many uh, synagogues and churches, and um, and and seen the different flags of the twelve tribes. I mean, everyone's seen that, haven't you? Seen that, Keith? Yes, I have. You've you've seen the flags of the twelve tribes, and mm-hmm. and you would think that this is where they come from, but they actually don't come from here, where they usually oh. come from. Um, they're essentially artistic depictions of um, of the blessings that are given in Genesis and Deuteronomy, one by Jacob and the other by uh, Moses. Mm-hmm. You know, they're essentially trying to translate those blessings into a flag, and we don't really know what their flags look like. <laughs> yeah. um, it says each man by his flag, and literally it says bi'otot, which you could translate um, by signs, or it could also be by um, by letters. Mm-hmm. Maybe the flag just had their name on it. We don't really wait a minute, know. Wait a minute. Hold it just a second. Just a second. What are you saying? You're, you're telling me when I go in into some of these fellowships and they got these huge ten by ten flags, or, or when people sometimes have these, you know, these huge. What are you saying to me? You're going to take that away from us, Nehemiah? <laughs> no, you you can keep that, but just remember that's an artistic depiction that really isn't you know defined anywhere in scripture. 
where it comes from, I'm not exactly sure. Someone can probably do some research on that. Mm. Um, I know that in uh, the Hadassah Hospital in, in Jerusalem, at um, in, in Ain Karim, there is a beautiful uh, oh, version glass. of those, the stained glass windows mm. made by, even you know that in Australia, the stained glass windows made by Chagall. And they're, you know, a beautiful depiction of those flags of the 12 tribes. Mm. But, you know, that's Chagall's um, artistic rendering, you know, him being an artist. He uh, interpreted what he thought they might look like. Sure. But, they, you know, we don't know what they really look like. I mean, you know, for example, Dan being a snake, that's the most common one you'll think, common one you'll see. Mm-hmm. So where do they get that, the snake on the, fl- on the tribe of Dan? Well, that's, uh, that's from the blessing, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Let's see, that Moses gives in, in Deuteronomy. Um, let's see. Uh, no, isn't that, isn't that from uh, Jacob? Or is it, or is Dan, it, Dan will be a, a serpent on the roadside. The, the, there it is. The Gen- okay, there. Yeah. Exactly. So Genesis forty nine seventeen, mm. it says, uh, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, and adder in the path that biteth the ho- horse heels so that his rider shall fall, fall backwards. Well, now where do we get from that, that, uh, <laughs> that the flag of Dan is, is, a, is a snake? Well, I, mean, I, that, I don't know. Yeah. That would stand to reason that Naphtali would be a deer, and that Asher would be a a, a, a piece of bread. And, and that's what that's what that's what they have on on the tra- you know I say traditional renderings, but uh-huh. I don't know how far back these go. I know Chagall used them. Maybe that's where it comes from. For all I know, I really don't know. Maybe. Um, and um, but then look at Deuteronomy thirty three twenty two, and of Dan he said, "Dan is a lion's whelp; he shall leap from Bashan." So why isn't Dan a lion? Why is Dan a snake? That's a good. Point. I think this anti-Danism. That's what this <laughs> is. <laughs> so there it is, but it doesn't say. I mean, it it goes on to to mention that they shall camp some distance from the tabernacle of meeting, and so they do so. They're told where to go, and 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 they go and uh, set themselves up. And it doesn't go into any detail as to what their standard or their emblem is, but we know that they do have one. So uh, I'm saying so. The, there is no description in the verses in regards to the uh, standards or the emblems. Uh, is there anything that you would like to pull out of those verses, Nehemiah, before I go to verse 32? <laughs> I feel bad that we're jumping over this whole section, but uh, we don't have to. We can we can read it all. We can read it all out. Keith, what yeah. do you want to read? All right. It out? Well, well, I mean, it's interesting because you said you have a you have a diagram in your Bible, yeah. And really, we could have accomplished most of what's in this chapter with a simple diagram. <laughs> but it, and and, and it reminds me kind of of the sections we we read in Exodus about describing the different vessels and and parts of the tabernacle, where it mm-hmm. gives this long verbal description. Um, for something that really just a simple picture would have sufficed. Picture, a picture tells a thousand words, right? Right, but 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 the Torah is the word, and it's based on the word and not the picture. Amen. It paints pictures with the words, but those words are necessary to paint the pictures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There it is. That's all I got to say. All right, okay. I'm jumping along. Keith, was there anything you wanted to, to add to that? No, I'm waiting in the bushes. Here it is. These are the ones who were numbered of the children of Israel by their father's houses, all who were numbered according to their armies. Uh, of the forces were 603,550, but the Levites were not numbered among the children of Israel, just as Yehovah commanded Moses. Thus the children of Israel did according to all, there it is again, verse 34, thus the children of Israel did according to all that Yehovah commanded Moses. So they camped by their standards, and so they broke camp, each one by his family according to his father's house. So I want to say this, you know, you guys, I still think that it's so, one, I I mentioned it earlier, I'm still waiting for somebody to push the button, otherwise I'm going to have to go get a program and push the button. (laughs) Verse 54, I'm sorry, verse 54 of chapter 1, the Israelites did all this just as the Lord commanded Moses. Mm -hmm. Verse 34, so the Israelites did everything the Lord commanded. Different wording, but the same idea. I'm sure there's some way that one of you guys can find this. But what I think is, I still, what I think is so powerful about this is you know, there's this progression going on. You know, he removes them from, uh, from, from, from Egypt. There's complaining along the way. They get into the desert. And now we're going to start saying, okay, now, look, we're about ready to fight now. We've got to get our, our groups set up, and here's how we're going to do this. And they did according. They counted. Then he says, now, here's how I want you to camp. Now, Judah, you camp here. <clears throat> uh, Dan, you camp here. Issachar, you camp here. And they did according to all that was commanded and even how they camped. And so, again, there's like this progression. I know we're going to move toward the time where all of a sudden they say, okay, enough is enough. But, again, I think it's very important that they did according to what was commanded. Mm, mm, no, for sure. And this is the right. – uh, speaking of doing according to what is commanded, we have it, we have it divided down. And uh, we're talking about the sons of Aaron. And pretty much this chapter, chapter 3 of Numbers, is about the, uh, the Levites and what their duties are. 
Now, it's interesting. I, I find it interesting that we're not counting from uh, the age of 20. Here in, uh, in, in verse, uh, let's see, 14, I'm looking uh, every male from above a month old, one month and, and above. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, I think that goes back to what we kind of skipped over in <laughs> Leviticus 27, which is that um, there's an evaluation, uh, uh, or evaluation rather, um, a value uh, assigned to a child beginning at the uh, at the age of one month, and before mm-hmm. that, really no value, um, monetary value, could be assigned to the child because we don't know if the child's going to survive or not. Um, right. So, really, until the thirtieth day, you don't really know if the child's going to live. Sure. Okay. So these are the records of Aaron and Moses when Jehovah spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, and these are the names of Aaron's sons, and it mentions, of course, Nadab, the firstborn, and Abihu, who were, uh, well, it goes on to say in just a moment, uh, Eliezer and Itma. These are names of the sons of Aaron, uh, the anointed priests, uh, whom he consecrated to minister as priests. Adab and Abihu died before Jehovah when they were when they offered profane fire or strange fire before Jehovah in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So Eliezer and Itma ministered as priests in the presence of Aaron, their father. And, the, and Yehovah spoke to Moses, saying, Bring all the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron, the priest, that they may serve him. And that's their job. And they may attend, they shall attend to his needs and the needs of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of meeting to do the work of the tabernacle. Also, they shall attend to all the furnishings, the tabernacle of meeting, and to the needs of the children of Israel to do all the work of the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are given entirely to him from among the children of Israel. So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall attend to their priesthood. But the out- Again, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Serious stuff. Then Jehovah spoke to Moses, saying, Now behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of the firstborn who opens the womb among the children of Israel. Therefore the Levites shall be mine, because... All the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. They shall be mine. I am Yehovah. So let's talk theology for a second. What's this idea of, not theology, just conceptual uh, information. Mm. <clears throat> what is this idea of the firstborn? And, then we, and, then, and you know, he's, he's talking about it here. He's kind of giving us the hint, at least as I'm reading this. Uh, listen, here's the deal with the firstborn. Here's the deal with the firstborn. And then, I, and honestly, when I read and I read the first part of um, the section on, on the Levites, and I hear again about the two sons, I mean, you're talking about 50% uh, um, you know, change, a change of 50%. He's got four sons. Two of them mm. are gone. So now he's only got two. So the firstborn, and it says the name of the firstborn yeah. is dead. And then the one after him, I guess by, by age, mm. then the other two. But then when we get here and he starts talking about but I, I set apart for myself every firstborn in Israel, whether man or animal, they are to be mine. And then the connection between the firstborn and then saying, Levi is mine. So I want to ask this question. What's the connection? I mean, uh, certainly Levi isn't the, first, isn't the firstborn. So, so what, what do you guys see as the connection there? Well, my understanding is that, they, that he, he has said that he takes Levi instead of uh, to suffice uh, instead of the uh, in, instead of the firstborn of Israel, is that correct, Nehemiah? And, and what it kind of implies, or the way it's certainly been traditionally understood, I should say, is that um, is that originally. Uh, I mean, l- let let me go back. This is the way this is traditionally understood. Let's start with that. Mm-hmm. Is that um, is that originally the the people who were supposed to serve in the temple were the firstborn, and when they sinned at the golden calf, they lost that right. And they were replaced with the tribe of Levi, and um, and where they get that from, if you go to the story of the um, of the of the golden calf, let's see, it's uh, Exodus chapter thirty-two, verse 20, 26. This is while the whole event is going on, and Moses comes and he sees this. Um, and when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, "Who is on Jehovah's side?" Mm. Let him come unto me, and all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And so, essentially, they're the ones who are when the whole thing of the of the is going down. Um, uh, it's, you know, they're the ones who who didn't participate in the sin of the golden calf and stood with Jehovah. Mm-hmm. And it goes on in verse twenty-seven. And he said to them, "Thus saith Jehovah God of Israel: Put every man his sword by his side, and go in, 
and out from gate to gate throughout throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion, every man his neighbor. And I think in the context, it's obvious they're slaying the ones who are worshiping the golden calf. Mm -hmm. uh, verse 28, and the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell the men that day about 3,000 men. Mm -hmm. So every family and every um, grouping had people who were um, who were worshiping the golden calf, except it seems, or it's implied, the tribe of Levi, of Levi, um, and so that traditionally it's understood that that's why God chose them instead of uh, the firstborn. Uh, having said that, um, Scripture doesn't quite say that. <laughs> In other yeah, words, not only clearly, Levi, clearly Levi stood with uh, Jehovah on the day of, um, of the golden calf, um, but they were also kind of the ones who started it, didn't they? I mean, Aaron, who is the head of the tribe mm. of Levi, of Levi, um, we're even told that he—he's the one who actually was largely exactly. responsible sure. for the whole incident of the golden calf. So I right. find that traditional explanation not satisfying, and so we are kind of left with this conundrum: Why is it that uh, the tribe of Levi is taken, and they are commanded to be assistants to the the Kohanim, to the priests, who at this point are essentially three people? We've got Aaron and his two sons, mm. uh, and then whatever. Ever children they have, which you know, maybe they have. A, we know of Pinchas who later shows up, um, and so that's four. Mm -hmm. So you know, maybe they've got a dozen people with all the children and grandchildren, right? Um, but it's a very small number of people, and uh, and then we've got the whole tribe of Levi, which is about twenty-two thousand people, and they're brought in place of the twenty-two thousand firstborn. So why is that? And you know, so it's not so really I bring this question. I bring this. I bring this up because. I'm asking, you know, he, he goes, you know, there's enough explanation to say, you know, this is what I did with the firstborn in Egypt. This is what I'm doing with the firstborn. This is why the firstborn, and then Levi is, uh, is brought to me. Then I, then I did think, okay, so let's just conceptually ask one question. And I thought, okay, so what about the, the family of Moses? So who was born first, Aaron or Moses? We know that to be Aaron, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Aaron was three years old. Yep. Okay. So, so then and presumably, in house, presumably Miriam was even more than that because she was, the one who, uh, you know, was negotiating the whole the whole issue of who was going to, you right. know, with, with the daughter of Pharaoh. She was doing all those negotiations sure. about bringing, um, um, you know, right. a nursemaid. Yep. So she had to be more than three years sure. old, <laughs> presumably. Exactly. exactly. So the only reason I'm bringing this up is just something to think about. So I, I think, okay, so who, in, in, in Moses' household, in, in his family, who would have been the firstborn, I guess that would be Miriam, but then mm -hmm. then we've got the issue of the which which would be the firstborn. So I mean, there's just a bunch of questions. <laughs> no, Mir Miriam up. is the firstborn. The concept yes. of firstborn in Scripture is the first one to go out of the womb, the and one that opens so, the womb. So Aaron was the one that opens mm. the womb. Petalechem is uh, the first one that comes out of the womb. Sure. So it was it was not Aaron. Aaron was not a firstborn by any stretch. It was it was okay. Miriam. Okay, so there it is. So so we're, I'm trying to find out where this where this issue of firstborn connects. With them, with them, and and I guess it's fair to say that this might be a kacha situation. Maybe it is. I mean, look. So there's the traditional explanation, which I, I don't find very satisfying. It's a possibility. Uh, beyond that, we're we're kind of speculating. We, you know, we, it it doesn't say why God chose okay, the tribe. Here it is, and, here, and maybe here it is, ladies. Yeah. This is why we need Keith to bring the Christological explanation. No, and that's what I was about to do. So here's what we're going to do. <clears throat> let's have, let's have the prayer. I was going to say, let's, let's have, have the prayer, prayer because, yeah. We need to have we're the really prayer to have our... prayer to open my eyes to this. <laughs> here's, ladies and gentlemen, I want everyone that's listening, we're going to see if we can get Nehemiah's, Nehemiah's eyes to open here. Eloheinu v'elohe avotenu, gal eneinu v'nabita nifloot mitoratecha, Yehovah our Father, God of, our God and the God of our fathers, please open our eyes to the wonderful hidden things of your Torah. Amen. 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 And so the reason that I, I did want to slow down a little bit is because of this idea of the firstborn. Mm, mm. The one who comes forth. The one who, you know, wh wh who is the firstborn. And, and one, of, one of the things that's, so, that's been so cool for me is as I've been looking through, and I know this has been a little bit controversial, but I'm going to bring it up anyway, just the idea of the firstborn of Israel. The firstborn, his firstborn son, Meaning that his people, Israel, who have been uh, his firstborn, mm. and the idea that that you know, in the womb of Egypt, you know, this this in difficulty and confusion and and bondage and 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 you know, oppression mm. and all of that that he brings out. And you're talking about the firstborn that comes out of the womb, you know, the firstborn that he brings out. That really, it, it's you know, all of them are his. Mm. And then to say. From all of them, I'm going to take another group and say that these are the ones that are mine, 
separate from the others. Everyone else, you can give them their land and you can give them their this, that, and the other. But these, you got to take care of because these are mine. And then, then you go from that, you know, even further to the, the, to priest, the high yeah. priest, to Aaron. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, I just <clears throat> like this concept of the separating uh, out and the consecrating and the calling forth and the bringing forth of the ones whom he's called. And, and that's, that's just a, a, something that's worth, you know, just bringing it up. I just, mm. I just bring it up. Because what, it's, it's, what I do want to point out is that uh, what we're not dealing with here is, and this is the way some people interpret it, I think, is, is that what God originally wanted, uh, um, and, and some traditional sources interpret it this way too, that God originally was going to have the, um, the, uh, you know, the firstborn, and then he changed his mind. And instead of the, instead of the firstborn, he's going to have the tribe of Levi. And, and of course, this is taken by some sources, I, I won't name which ones, uh, Methodists, um, <laughs> that, uh, you know, there are definitely some sources that have then come along and said, okay, well, if he, if he replaced uh, Levi, uh, the firstborn with Levi, then he can replace Levi with the church. And this has certainly been the interpretation of the Catholic mm-hmm. Church, if you look at the early church fathers. Um and I don't actually think that's what's going on here, that, that this is a replacement. I think what God is saying is, well, these belong to me, and um, I uh, and I want to take the tribe of Levi and dedicate them to um, to you know to serving me. And that's something that, um, this isn't the first time we're actually hearing this. If we go back to the blessing of Jacob, the tribe of Levi, we're told already in the blessings that Jacob gave in Genesis 49, we're told that they were going to be scattered among Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, so they already back then weren't going to have a, a, a property. And that's something we read about in Leviticus, that they were not going to inherit property because they were going to serve God. So this is not the first time this is being brought up, and it's not that, well, God had one plan, and now he changed his plan and had another plan. Uh, I don't think that's the case at all. And, and I think the proof of this is that in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 19, we see very clearly that the whole laws, all the laws concerning the firstborn are still valid. Mm-hmm. It's not that, well, okay, well, you were going to, you know, originally you were going to have to redeem the firstborn, and now you don't have to redeem the firstborn because I've taken and said the tribe of Levi. Well, no, the redemption of the firstborn still stands. And so simply what Yehovah is saying is this group of people belongs to me, and I'm going to have these specific firstborn are going to be redeemed. Instead of giving the five shekels of silver, the way they're going to be redeemed is with a replacement by taking these these Levites, Levites instead. So we get the, the firstborn born after that, they still need to be redeemed with the with the five shekels of silver. And so when we uh, Keith as we keep reading, we do actually come to a little bit more clarity uh, nearing the end of chapter 3 from verse 40. We'll be there in just a second. So in regards to uh, counting the Levites, verse 16, so Moses numbered them according to the word of Jehovah as he was commanded and these were the sons of Levi by their names. Uh, Gershon. Gershon, So there they are. Can I now, let's jump over this. Well, let's not jump over it, but what we have is. Before you jump over it, one thing I would say, and so is this too obvious? I just want to bring this up. Is this too obvious that regardless of him selecting that tribe, Levi, unto himself and all of that, is it too obvious that he selected Moses from Levi? And is it too obvious that when it was time for Moses to say, who stands with me? As we battle that his own kinsmen. That they were there, yeah. I mean, is that just too obvious? I mean, to me, I, I'm just wondering, you know, f- from the whole idea of Moses' birth and what tribe, I mean, the fact that we know what tribe that he came from, mm-hmm. for, to have that tribe be separated as Yehovah's, as Moses was, and Aaron as the high priest. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, Benjamin said, hey, we'll stand with you during this time. And so he said, so Benjamin will now become, you know, it's not like, and, and I got to bring up the tradition of the Catholic Church here. Uh, so the Pope. When he had his uh, his battles, uh, the Swiss stood with him in, at different times, and so he determined at one point that the Swiss, even though they weren't a part of quote unquote his uh, people at that time, that they would always be the ones that would would guard him, and so that's why we have the Swiss guard to this day. Oh, hold on, you, you've got to tell the people what the significant was it that they were Swiss that was the reason they weren't part of his. People, what? no, 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 no. I was what bringing if there was up. A I was from Switzerland. What, what were no, they? No, no, no. <laughs> The issue is that the Swiss guards were Protestants, yeah, and well, that, that, that was the issue. And he chose the Swiss guards. I don't know why we're talking about the Pope, but the Pope chose well, the because, Swiss guards uh, because he couldn't trust the other Catholics. <laughs> right. No, no, so I didn't want to say that. So he so he brought in Protestant mercenaries. Now, Kenya, all I simply wanted to say was is that he he, he said from 
from from now into the future, the Swiss card will always be the Swiss card. I didn't want to bring up the controversy. Now you you know the point was. <laughs> why, why are we talking about the Pope? I'm so confused. No, no, because of the idea of who, who did he decide to, to, that fought with him and that stood with him, etc. Mm. That's why I was bringing that up. But okay, so let's go, go ahead, Joe. Amen. So I was just going to say that we'll point out the Gershonites. They were uh, on the west side. They their duties included the tabernacle, the tent. With its coverings, the screens of the door and the tabernacle, the meaning the screens of the door of the court and the hangings of the court, which are all around the tabernacle and the altar, that cords according to all the work relating to them. Uh, Karat, he's got the south side, and, uh, and his duties included the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altar, the uh, utensils of the sanctuary. Uh, he got the good stuff. He got the good stuff, man. He got the, yeah, so... Uh, and all that sort of stuff. And then it says in 32, Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, was to be chief over the leaders of the Levites with oversight of those who kept charge of the sanctuary. Now we have the, uh, <laughs> the Merari. Okay, Merari. Uh, the Malites, is that right? And the Mushites? Mm-hmm. Mushites. Okay. Something like that. So that'll do. <laughs> close, close enough. Yeah, they are. They're on the north side. And... <laughs> Their appointed duty of the children uh, of those guys included boards of the tabernacle, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, utensils, and all the work relating to them, the pillars, and the cord around with their sockets, pegs, and cords. Uh, and then it goes on to say in 38, moreover, those who were, on, who were to camp before the tabernacle on the east, before the tabernacle of meeting, were Moses, Aaron, and his sons. Uh, they kept the charge of the sanctuary to meet the needs of the children of Israel. But again, it says the outsider who came near was put to death. All who were numbered of the Levites. Now, hold on. So what, why is Moses and Aaron and, and the and the Kohanim, why are they on the east side? What's the significance of the east side? That's the entrance, right? That's the entrance. So they're controlling access. Yeah. Yeah. That's obviously the most important point, I suppose. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? It's pointing towards Jerusalem. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Well, wait, why is it pointing towards Jerusalem? <laughs> <laughs> oh. All who were numbered of the Levites, who Moses and Aaron they were, they were south of Jerusalem, so it wasn't I'm just kidding. At the, the commandment of Yahweh by their families, all the males of one month old and above were 22,000. Okay. And so I've got to stop here because I love these numbers, you know, you guys. I got it. I just got to talk about numbers for one second, and I want, I've, I've held my peace the whole time. But can I just bring in one significance of the number 22,000? Mm. I mean, I, no, I'm, no, I'm just the numbers man. You. No, I'm a numbers no, guy. No, no. When I see when I saw twenty two thousand, immediately, you guys, all I think about is wow, twenty two thousand, not twenty one thousand, not twenty four thousand six hundred twenty, twenty two thousand for the Levites, and I thought immediately of the twenty twenty two Hebrew letters, and I thought about this exact number of twenty two thousand, and I that's the first thing I thought about was the twenty two Hebrew letters, and just just you know that this group of people, whatever the Reason there is, it just is what I thought about. I thought about the fact that here are the ones that are his that have been set aside to be his, and there are exactly twenty two thousand of them. So mm-hmm. I get kind of excited about that. <laughs> so there's, there, there seems to be j- just seeing you brought that up. There does seem to be a lot of round numbers uh, here, Nachemir. Is there some rounding up or rounding down going on? Do you think? Well, here it's uh-huh. very clearly not rounded because there's twenty two thousand Levites mm-hmm. and there's twenty two thousand two hundred and seventy three uh, firstborn. Yeah. And, yes. uh, and and then the whole discussion verses forty four to fifty one becomes well what about the two hundred and uh, and seventy three extra mm-hmm. so we're dealing with very precise numbers amen and amen. so they say okay well five shekel per head and then they do the math five shekel times two hundred and seventy three <laughs> like like these are Jewish accountants <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> one thousand three hundred and sixty five shekels this is where my people learn this that you know. When, you know, the, the numbers need to add up. <laughs> there, yeah. There's a whole accounting system going on here. And just as well. Listen, I want to just stop. I just, I just want to let people know. Let me tell you something. You know, we've gone on tour before. And let me, let me be honest with you. We have got a, a supreme accountant. I mean, to the penny. I'll give a book away and he'll say, that's, no, we're going to take that out of you. So, <laughs> no, guy, I don't take it out of his side. That's not true. <laughs> I, no, I bear that pain with him. <laughs> no, he does bear the pain with me. He really does. But the, what is really awesome, Nehemiah, is, the, is this idea of accounting. Of, of the specifics. We do give a lot, a lot of books away. The, the, the specifics and how painful. it works out. And it's good to have someone who actually is concerned about the numbers because, you know what, the numbers need to match. And, and that's where... It, it is pretty powerful that they that it isn't just, hey, well, we'll just round this up. No, here's the number right here, 273 firstborn. I mean, five shekels for each one. I mean, that's 
<laughs> that sounds pretty specific to me. Hmm. Yeah, so it is. Yeah. So it's, yeah. so here's the details. Yehovah said to Moses, number all the firstborn males of the children of Israel from a month old and above and wait, take... Wait. What verse are you in? We're in 40. Okay, verse sorry. 40. And take the number of their names and you shall take the Levites for me, I am Yehovah, instead of the firstborn among the children of Israel and the mm-hmm. livestock of the Levites for all the firstborn uh, among the livestock of the children of Israel. So uh-huh. Moses numbered all the firstborn among the children of Israel as Jehovah commanded them and uh, commanded him and all the firstborn males according to the number of names from a month old and above of those who were numbered of them 22,273. Then Jehovah spoke to Moses saying, the Levites instead of the firstborn among the children of Israel and the livestock. The- Keith. What are the chances of that, you guys? Come on. That that, that it's uh, two hundred and seventy-three out. The, I mean, there's twenty-two. I mean, we're back to my number again. Okay. Yeah. There's two hundred seventy-three above the twenty-two thousand. That I mean, that's I don't know. That's pretty. <laughs> it's 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 extremely close. And what are the odds of it being that close? What are the odds of that? I, I mean, know. Well, on. I mean, you know, it is it is striking. It it, it does you know it makes the point. And Levites instead of the firstborn of the children of Israel, uh, the livestock, uh, the Levites shall be mine. I am Yehovah, says in forty-five, and for. Uh, the redemption of the 273 of the firstborn of the number, uh, the firstborn of the children of Israel, who are more than the number of Levites, you shall take five shekels for each one, as you were saying, Nehemiah. Individually, you shall take them in the in the uh, currency of the shekel of the sanctuary. Uh, the oh, shekel. Oh, 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 currency. Yours says currency. I've got currency. Yeah, I, 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 when I saw okay. that, I thought, hang so, on. So, quick history lesson. Please. Uh, coins weren't developed until around 700 BC in, in Asia Minor in Greece in that area. And so they didn't have currency. Currency didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, what they had were weights. So, when they said five shekel of silver, they would actually weigh out in a balance five shekels weight of silver. And the silver could be the form of a coin, uh, not a coin, excuse me, could be the form of um, a ring or usually it was a, a, a slab, mm-hmm. um, an ingot of some kind. Uh, they call it in Hebrew a tongue. Mm. It was a tongue of silver because it was kind of shaped like a tongue. Um, but it was essentially a slab of silver and they would weigh out five shekels worth of that. Um, so it isn't the currency of... Uh, <laughs> no, so, so Nehemiah, just explain you know, to so, everybody so, the difference between money and currency. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty sure that currency is money, isn't it? Or no. am I wrong about that? Well, so, money, okay. money and silver, for example, seem to be at least in the English exchangeable. Uh, yeah. And and money is, as you say, something that has uh, intrinsic value according to its weight. Um, okay. Currency, on the other hand... According to my internet definition, mm-hmm. uh, currency is defined as a system of money in general use in, in a particular country. Now, money uh, today could be either in the form of a coin or... Um, or a, a piece of paper, um, or plastic, actually, in my country, <laughs> in Israel. <Sure. laughs> um, it, the 20 shekel bills are plain of plastic. Um, so, uh, but, you know, so presumably in ancient times, most people are probably thinking of a coin, but they didn't have coins either. They didn't have currency. What they had, either in the form of a coin or a bill, what they had were was silver, it was a metal, mm-hmm. and it was weighed. Mm-hmm. You know, and if they saw the silver wasn't pure, then they said, okay, well, we're not going to accept this, so we're going to... We're going to value this as less. You're going to have to bring two shekels of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so let me let me so illustrate yeah. it even more, if I may. Um, there was a, an article recently in uh, in the Australian uh, in the ABC, I think, Australian newspaper, and it was just saying that the most valuable piece of currency that we have is the fifty cent coin, because the fifty okay. cent coin is worth fifteen cents. Now, I know that sounds, that sounds weird, right? But the, the 50-cent <laughs> yeah. coin, because of the, the materials that make it up, and it's one of the larger coins in the Australian currency, uh, oh, yeah. it is actually, it's intrinsic value. It's true value is 15 cents. Its value as currency is 50 cents. And those two things okay. are not necessarily the same. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Um, yeah. Okay. In any event. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm- so, but anyway, when it talks about um, the shekel hakodesh, the shekel of the sanctuary, what it's talking about is that um, there were different shekels, and the shekel was essentially a, a stone. Mm-hmm. It was a stone that you would put on the balance that weighed um, a predefined amount. And so there was the shekel stone, and if you were in Egypt, your shekel stone might be one size, and if you were in um, in a, uh, in a Babylonia, it would be a different size. And there was so the temp, the temple, the sanctuary, uh, in this case, the tabernacle, mm-hmm. established a shekel for use. For this purpose, and uh, meaning they had a stone, and then when you wanted, if you were a merchant and you wanted to have a stone in your shop, you went and you 
and you bought it from them or you calibrated your stone against their stone, their master stone. And, and most people don't realize this, but we actually have this system to this very day. Did you know that? That um, the, the international system of measurements outside of Keith's country is the meter mm-hmm. and the leader. And, um, you know, and that holds the metric system. Sure. And there is a, a, a master meter. There's a meter that is the meter mm-hmm. in, I believe it's in France, if I'm not mistaken. And anybody who wants to make, um, make a, I don't know, a, a tape measure um, needs to have their meter match the meter that's in mm-hmm. France. And, um, and there may be one in the U.S. as well. I'm not sure. Um, but, but basically, it's a master measurement that all the other measurements in the world are supposed to be based mm-hmm. on. Um, so uh, you know that system isn't it actually exists in this you know to this day and to some extent there it is um, in a in, in a way yeah okay now I want to talk about something totally off topic Go on. but but I'm gonna let you finish the chat I'm gonna let you finish well the I was just gonna just gonna now. reiterate one thousand three hundred and uh, sixty five okay. shekels was what was taken uh, to make up mm-hmm. for the difference between the Levites and the firstborn of the children of Israel and Moses gave their redemption money to Aaron and his sons according to the word of Yehovah as Yehovah commanded Moses that's the end of chapter three now we're so, so can I get Keith to read verses 48 and 49 in the, in the in Methodist Bible? So give the money for the redemption of the additional Israelites to Aaron and his sons. So Moses collected the redemption money from those who exceeded the numbers redeemed by the Levites. Is that what you got, Jonah? Uh, got 48 and 49. I've got, uh, yeah. and you shall give the money uh, with which the excess number of them is redeemed to Aaron and his sons. So Moses took the redemption money from those who were over and above those who were redeemed by the Levites. I want to. I want to. You know, Keith calls what I'm about to do playing a card. I want to play a card, sure. and and that means I want to talk about something to- kind of totally off topic, but it's something close to my heart. And it's about this word that appears three times, once in verse 46, again in verse 48, and again in 49. Mm-hmm. And it's the word piduye, which literally means the redeemed of. And if you translate literally in 46, it has it says and the redeemed of the 273, meaning those 273 are going to be redeemed. Mm-hmm. And they are the re- and literally you could translate this the redeemed ones. Um, uh-huh. Verse forty-eight again. Mm-hmm. The redeemed ones of the of the excess of them. Uh, mm-hmm. Verse forty-nine also we have mm-hmm. from the excess over those who are redeemed of the Levites. So we've got uh-huh. three times the word piduye, which means the redeemed ones. And uh, and the reason this is close to my heart is something that uh, a friend of of both mine and Keith, and really he was Keith's friend much longer than he was my friend. Um, Keith knew him for years, uh, was a, a retired football player named Reggie mm-hmm. White. And, uh, and the night, uh, the day before he died, before he passed away in 2006, he had a dream. And uh, I'm, I'm gonna, Keith, would you share with the people what no, that no, no, dream was? No, 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 go ahead. You, no, you got to no. do it. Okay, you, all right. You're playing so the card. He, he, had, he, had a, he had a dream. <laughs> so, so Reggie had the dream. And the dream, he told this to anybody who would listen, the dream was he saw two words in his dream. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. This was the day before he, the day before he died. Um, it was actually, if I'm not mistaken, it was Christmas Eve of, uh, of 2000 and, 2004. And I remember that because the day he died, that was the day of the great tsunami that swept across the Pacific. Oh, and that was goodness. December 26, 2004. And mm. in fact, almost at the very moment that the tsunami swept across uh, the, the land. That's his, when he passed away. And so the day before he dies, he has this dream, and in the dream he sees two words, and the two words were Piduye Yehovah or Piduye Yehovah, the redeemed of Yehovah, and this exact word. And 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 when I was asked about this, I you know looked up that phrase to see, well, where is that? Is that something in the Bible? And so this exact phrase, Piduye Yehovah, redeemed of Yehovah, appears twice in the book of Isaiah. The same words that Reggie saw in his dream mm-hmm. the night before he died. He uh, appear in Isaiah 35.10 and 51.11, and I'll read you 35.10. It says, and the ransomed of the Lord, that's the King, New King James, and the Hebrew it literally says, Piduye Yehovah, the redeemed of Yehovah. And again, to be redeemed, to be redeemed means that Yehovah, uh, that the price is paid, that you know somebody is, is a prisoner, or in this case, uh, in the case that we're reading in, in over in Numbers, they, uh, they essentially need to be dedicated um, or essentially they needed to be sacrificed. And Yehovah says, well, we're not going to sacrifice human beings. That's an abomination. So you've got to redeem each one of them. And mm-hmm. so some of them were redeemed with Levites. The other ones were redeemed with the five shekels. Here in Isaiah 35, 10, it's talking about the people who are taken captives, who are scattered throughout the the, the diaspora, that Yehovah is going to redeem them. He's going to pay a price for them. 
And the re- it says, the redeemed of Yehovah shall return and come to Zion with singing with everlasting joy in their heads. Mm. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And then the same exact thing appears in Isaiah 51, 11. Let me read you that. Um, I love it. It's such a powerful passage. It says literally, and the redeemed Yehovah shall return. They shall come to Zion with singing and everlasting joy upon their heads. It's very similar to the other passages. They shall obtain joy and gladness, sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And then he says, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who, uh, who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die mm-hmm. and of the son of man who will be made like grass? Yehovah is saying here, I'm the one who's going to redeem you. Um, it's a powerful passage. It talks about the ones who Yehovah redeems. He brings them back. Um, it's a beautiful passage. And this is what Reggie saw the night before he died. Mm-hmm. And, and, and maybe mm-hmm. this was a message from Yehovah to Reggie that, Reggie, you are one of those that I've redeemed. Well, I, 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 you know, it's interesting, too, because on Saturday he called me uh, the, the morning before he he died, so it was that night, and uh, he was he was really trying to understand this dream. And, and as he called, and he said, you know, I, I saw these two words, and I've looked these two words up, and just really, I mean, he shared it with his family. And then, of course, the next morning, I was on the phone with Nehemiah when I got a phone call from a very close family uh, friends that said, hey, Keith, Reggie had just had a heart attack. So I told Nehemiah something happened. I went over, and, and then, of course, he, he, uh, he did die uh, at the hospital. But this, these two words were so powerful, I mean, just from that being shared. And that's why I think it's such an amazing thing that Yahweh would reveal that to, to, to Reggie. Because Reggie was on a, a, a true quest. He wanted to find the root of his faith. He wanted to understand the whole, the whole issue of who Yahweh uh, was to him in his life. And just the interaction with the Hebrew language, all of that happening. I just think, what a gift. Here it is. Yahweh knows the end of days for Reggie and gives him on just two nights before he dies. Uh, this dream and, he, and gives them those two words. I mean, that's as that's as clear as I don't think it's a maybe. I think it. Is, I, I really, really feel like it is. A, that was Yehovah's uh, sign to Reggie to say, "You are mine." And so uh, now Reggie is sleeping, and uh, we look for the day when uh, when the redemption comes and he will he will Amen. be raised and, and be and, able and, to stand before him. And what a powerful yeah. message Yehovah was saying to him. You know what this essentially says: to be redeemed of Yehovah is. The price has been paid for you. Mm-hmm. You are redeemed. Amen. Thank you so yes. much for that. Amen. That's an incredible yes. story. Thank you for sharing yes. that. And I think um, because we're running out of time, maybe we should, that's a good place to leave it. And uh, yes. in, But I'll just say just quickly in, in verse 4, you can read that, uh, about the uh, the duties that are given to Korax. Uh, with the things that they carry in the tabernacle of meeting, uh, mm-hmm. the, the things that they are to, to carry. It's interesting, though, just, just quickly mentioning verse 3, from 30 years old and above, it's uh, it's interesting that before they're being counted from 25 uh, and above, mm-hmm. but from here, 30 years old and above, um, it says, and it sort of suggests at least possibly that there's like a five-year apprenticeship of, of being there a Levi, but that's certainly possible. In yes. any case, uh, it says the, the in verse uh, 16, the appointed duty of uh, Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, uh, is the oil for the light, the sweet incense, the daily grain offering, the anointing oil, the oversight of all the tabernacle, of all that is in it, with the sanctuary and its furnishings. Then Yehovah spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Do not cut off the tribe of the families of the Korahites from among the Levites. And do this in regards to them that they may live and not die when they approach the most holy things. Aaron his sons shall go in and appoint each of them to his service and his task, but they shall not go in to watch while the holy things are being covered, lest they die. And that's the gravity of the situation there. But thank you again, Keith Johnson and Nehemiah Gordon. You've been listening to Torah Pearls on Truth To You Radio, where you can also freely download this and other Torah Pearls programs at truthtoyou.org. That's truth number two, letteryou.org. And until next week, dear listeners, be blessed and be set apart by the truth of our Father's Word. Shalom.